Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. This is episode 49, and our guest, and this is the first time we've had a guest on, making his third appearance on the Red and White Authority, and uh, it is uh, my very good friend, uh, Kevin Allen, the Hockey Hall of Fame writer from USA Today, and a little bit different show today. Kevin is off to Korea, uh, South Korea, even though uh, the NHL players are not going to be playing the Olympics, but he's covering the Olympic tournament. So we're going to look at Team USA and the Olympic tournament, and we'll get into the little bit of the trade deadline because Kevin is returning from South Korea on the day of the trade deadline. So uh, we won't have a chance to talk to him uh, until after the Red Wings or whomever make deals. So with all that grand introduction, as I go on and on and on about Kevin each and every time, Kevin Allen joins us on the Red and White Authority. Kevin, thanks for doing it. Always great to have you on. Always a pleasure to do it. Uh, uh, it will be strange. You know, it's, it's been since 1994 since we've had non-NHL players, you know, playing in the hockey tournament at the Olympics. That was the uh, the, Nor- uh, the Norway Games when we were in uh, um, Lillehammer. Right. And then in 98, when we went to Na- uh, Nagano, we uh, ended up with the NHL players. So it's going to be a little bit different. And... Um, you know, it'll still be at a huge, huge event. But And there are some names, though, on that U.S. team that you may remember because a lot of them have had NHL experience, even though we call it a non-NHL tournament. But, you know, guys like Arcabella has uh, played in the NHL, Wisniewski, Brian Gianta played there as well. So there'll be a lot of players who you'll say, hey, I sort of remember that guy. When uh, How many Olympics have you covered now? I've been to every one since 1988. Uh, wow. for, for the winter games, and then I've done some uh, uh, summer games as well. But, uh, you know, the winter since uh, 88, so I've seen all those tournaments. I've covered all the major professional championships in North America for the most part, you know, NBA, NHL, World Series, Super Bowls. One thing I've never covered, which I would like to cover eventually, hopefully, would be an Olympic Games. What is it like? Can you put it into words and describe <laughs> it? Are they all, is everyone so different and unique? No, I mean, there are some similarities. Um, you know, I've covered all the major events as well. Um, you know, I've done the NCAA tournament, and, I, you know, I've, I've never done uh, the Indy 500, but um, uh, most of the major events that I have done, and the Olympics is just bigger than all of them. It's, you know, there's literally thousands of reporters uh, covering the events, and, uh, you know, you don't go into the dressing rooms like you do in uh, major events. You are, are in what's called the mixed zone or zone mixed is what they <laughs> normally call it uh, uh, Then the French. But uh, uh, And then players walk along ropes and you basically shout at them and try to get them to stop and uh, chat with you. So it's a sort of a, a bizarre existence. But It kind of sounds like walking the red <laughs> carpet at an event well, or something. It is. It's You know, they walk along a, a, you know, a roped-in area, and you line up along the rope, and you uh, hope that you have built up relationships with people that they will stop and, uh, and chat with you. And that's how you get your interviews. But you never get in a dressing room. The other oddity is, at the Olympics, the reporters get the best seats. Like, um, you know, the seating, these venues are all very small. Even when NHL players were there, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the Tribune, which is what they call the press box, is in the lower level, and it's at center ice. And USA Today being a large entity, you know, we were usually, you know, like four or five rows up. So since 1998, I've watched NHL All-Star tournaments from center ice um, in a venue that, uh, 
you know, usually only holds uh, eight or nine or 10,000 people, except obviously in Vancouver when it was an NHL arena. Well, I, I, I want to get into, and there's a lot of things that we can cover, but I wanted to ask you, essentially the NHL did not go this year or go to the 2018 Olympics, not because it was in South Korea, it was because the IOC was not going to pick up any of the expenses for the players and he decided that they weren't going to do it, even though every NHL player I've talked to, and I know you've talked to them too in the NHLPA, they all want to be there. They all want to play in the Olympic Games. So I guess my question to you is, is that when the NHL decided not to go in 2018 for basically financial reasons, they said that we may be in, in, in 2022 in Beijing, we'll revisit it. The IOC then came back and said, well, if you're not going to go in 2018, we may not extend an invitation to you for 2022. So where does that stand? Is yeah. this is this a just a, a one year blip, or you know one Olympic winter Olympic blip, or will we see NHL players in 2022 and beyond? Well, everything you said there is the official truth. Okay. But I don't think that's going to how it's going to play out. Nor do I think you know all the reasons that they're not there. You know, can be simplified by saying. Um, you know the paying of the travel costs. It's it's far more complicated than that. Uh, uh, it really what it boils down to is is that uh, the NHL, even though it it seems like this should be a good thing to send the world's best players to go to showcase and celebrate the event, the NHL has never been able to sort of quantify what they get out of it. Mm -hmm. Like, and they're not looking for money. They're looking for just the, the idea that they're growing the game and everything. And never, they've never been able to sort of figure out what the advantage of it. It feels like they should have an advantage, but they've never been sort of, they've seen no tangible evidence of that. Now, the reason why they were looking for that is, is that it's complicated for them to shut down the league for an extended period. It's not complicated for the Detroit Red Wings or the Toronto Maple Leafs or the New York Rangers, big, powerful entities where the fan base is established. But in the in the newer markets, once they shut down, it's hard to get back up again. You know that most of those areas are counting on walk-up sales, and th those dwindle after they've been shut down. People find other things to do; they get out of the habit of going. Um, and then there's the risk of injuries. So when you factor all that in, and then you factor in that the IOC has never really treated them like the NHL feels. Look, we're giving you our athletes. And we want to be treated like first class. Like the NBA guys are treated, probably. Yeah, well, just they, they just want you know their owners to be able to get in the back door and right. not have to go through security. And you know, to be able to, like, for the longest time, the NHL couldn't even show highlights of the Olympics on their website. I mean, that's, you know, so they've had to fight an ongoing battle with the IOC. So, it's, it, you know, there's a lot of, of backroom politics that have complicated this. Also... They felt like it was going to be like the games were going to be shown live from Korea and they were going to be at 6 and 7 o'clock in the morning. You know, all that played into it. Now, saying all that, you know, they have spent a lot of time selling hockey in China. I would be betting, I would bet dimes to dollars that they are going to be in China because they really want to grow the game in China. They have spent uh, a, a lot of time and energy and I think money. Uh, to get hockey, the word spread in China, they see that as an untapped resource. So I think they will find a way. Now, with regard to the players, um, the players have to accept a little responsibility for this because shouldn't they have demanded 
that this be in the CBA. Right, right. Like, like I, I mean, you know what they were saying is, look, the NHL would have not gone along with it. I'm not so sure of that. I, I think that <laughs> at the push comes to shove back when they were negotiating this current CBA, at one point the NHL was as desperate as anyone to get this thing rolling and get them going. And I think at some point if the players would have said, well, put it in the CBA that we get to go to Korea, I think they might have done that. I, I think they sort of miscalculated that. Now, you know, they're going to say I'm wrong on that, and they're going to say the league wouldn't have given in, and then, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd have been in a mess. But I, I don't know. I think they would have. So I think the players have to bear a little bit of responsibility. They didn't push hard enough, I think, you know, to get that in. When we look at this upcoming tournament, and obviously Team USA is going to be playing with a heavy heart, Jim Johansson, uh, the guy who was really, you wrote a, a heartfelt tribute to him when he passed away in his sleep at just 53 years old. Um, he, I don't know if he handpicked this current Team USA, but his fingerprint is all over USA Hockey where he knew all these players. Dylan Larkin uh, went out of his way after a game against the Devils to say when, he, when the media assumed his press conference was over or post-game comments was over, and he said, I have to say this about J.J. Jim Johansson and, and went on. Um, is this a loss, and I don't mean to sound melodramatic, can Team USA be inspired by it and, and maybe rally to the gold, or is this just such a devastating blow that they could not recover? Well, uh, you know, in your first part of your question, it, it really is a, almost a hand-picked team. Nobody in this country uh, understands or knows more about the uh, players, the American players who are playing in Europe than Jim Johansson did. Like, nobody was keeping track of them, but Jim knew everything about them. And mm -hmm. I think that's what made him such a unique figure in American hockey history. Because, you know, he was, uh, he played at a time, even though he never made the NHL, he was able to play with the likes of Brian Leach mm -hmm. and Chris Chelios and Mike Madonna and Roanick. He was part of that peer group. You know, coming up, he played with that group. He, you know, he was on Olympic teams with Keith Kachuk. And Billy Garen. I mean, he, uh, you know, he touched all those guys. He could speak to their, you know, how they were as players. So he knows everything about that. And he also could tell you who the best 15-year-old player in America is. You know, he knew all the grassroots players. He knew everybody over in Europe. Uh, so when this happened, that uh, there were going to be no NHL players, I remember uh, JJ, as everybody called him, telling me, "Ah, eh, we'll be all right," because everybody's in the same boat. Russia's going to be you know, in a class by itself because they have names that we will all recognize, mm -hmm. including Pavel Datsuk. Who's the captain. The captain of the team. <laughs> yeah. that, because there are a lot of guys who went back to Russia, uh, either A, to play in the Olympics, or B, because they like to play in front of the home fans. The KHL pays pretty good money. So they'll have a really strong team. After that, it's sort of a hodgepodge. It's patchwork, and everybody will be in the same boat. And... It's hard to get a handle on how good this team will be. Uh, I look at it, you know, there's two keys. Will they score enough goals and will their goaltending be good enough? Um, um, but it does have a Michigan flavor. Yes, it does. It does have a Michigan flavor when we're looking at it. Um, uh, four players, um, Chad Billings, who played at Ferris State, was a great defenseman for them from Marysville, Michigan. Right. James Wisniewski whom was always rumored to be coming to the Red Wings when he was in the NHL, uh, who played for various teams, uh, is from Canton, Michigan. 
Uh, Chad Kalarik, who was a star at Michigan, played very, very well for the Wolverines. And then Jim Slater, who's also from Michigan and played for Michigan State. So uh, these are all guys who, uh, I don't know if Billings, I thought he might have had a cup of coffee in the NHL, but for the most part, these are guys that have, you know, played in the league, especially Slater and, and, and Wisniewski. And again, you know, we can go on, you know, as you said, but uh, Brian Gianta's on this team. Uh, um, Arcabello. I, I, I mean, I, 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 but as you, we just don't know what yeah. they're going to do because how well do we know the other teams as well? I mean, I looked at the Canadian uh, uh, roster and they're basically in the same boat as Team USA. For sure. Um, some of their guys are a little closer to the NHL in Canada. That's the, uh, the only point I would make. Uh, uh, you know, some of them are, are only recently sort of removed. But, um, you know, uh, the, one of the last conversations I had with Jim Johansson, we talked about um, that he, I asked him where the scoring was going to come from. And, you know, he talked about uh, Donato, um, who was at Harvard, and that, you know, he was probably going to, you know, have to score. Um, and, you know, they were going to need to get some goals out of Troy Terry, who's, you know, one of the younger players there. Um, Ray Bork's kid, Chris Bork is probably going to be one of their top scorers. He plays in Hershey of the American right. Hockey League. It's uh, really going to be a legendary. You know, he'll be an American Hockey League, you know, kind of Hall of Famer. But we were talking about he was going to score. He said to me then, he said, but, you know, we're going to win with guys like Kolarik and Slater because he said, you know, those are the role players and Gianta. Those are guys that are going to be in the, you know, third and fourth lines who've played a lot. So they're going to be very important players. And I think Wisniewski will be too. I mean, he's logged, uh, other than Gianta, no one's logged more NHL games than uh, Wisniewski on that team. And, you know, what do we know about him? Well, we know uh, when he was in the NHL, he was uh, uh, had a reputation for being a highly competitive player, and he comes by that naturally as someone who's lived in Michigan. I know my cousin speaks of playing senior men's hockey against uh, Jim, uh, or against the uh, Wisniewski's father who played, I, I don't I thought it was in Wayne uh, Westland area, but... Mm -hmm. uh, I know they played senior hockey, so I think the dad has uh, been a hockey player as well. Well, I, I, I look at, at Team USA, and I remember I was talking to Jimmy Howard about it. As a matter of fact, on, on, on DetroitRedWings.com, I wrote a story where he was a little disappointed. He was the uh, goaltender four years ago. He, made, he was on Team USA, and he actually was made Team USA's best player at the World Championships last year. He, in that, he was by far one of the oldest guys, and... Uh, uh, you know, he was telling me, you know, it's disappointing. You know, you would hope that the best athletes in the world, that's what the Olympics are, that the best hockey players would be there. But on the other hand, it gives players that may not have had a shot the opportunity to wear the jersey. And speaking from somebody who wore the jersey, it's the best feeling in the world that you can have. I mean, it's great to be in the NHL, but when you put on your country's colors, that's taking it to a different level. Uh, you know, could we see, and I, you know, again, being melodramatic here, could we see another miracle on ice? Could could this country embrace this team, even though some of them are known players, but this team could come out of nowhere uh, with, you know, with unfortunately JJ's passing, uh, you know, them, you know, a year ago or whatever, thinking they'd never have an opportunity to be on an Olympic team. Could this team like rally behind those things? Well, for sure. Uh, I'm going to tell you just a few stories about that. Um, uh, Matt Gilroy, uh, who played for the New York Rangers, was a Hobie Baker Award winner and defenseman. I think he played for three or four teams. Uh, he's married to a uh, 
a, a broadcaster uh, whose name escapes me right now. But uh, uh, anyway, he had a chance to come back in the NHL. Now, over in the, the KHL, he's a top four defenseman. In the NHL, he'd be a six seven defenseman. But he decided that he wanted to be in the Olympics, and he went back to the KHL rather than try to get an NHL job over here um, because it was important to him. Uh, I, Chris Bork, uh, his father, a very proud Canadian. Chris, you know, this is, he called it the biggest um, event of his hockey career. Now, he's he played a little bit in the NHL, but mostly in the AHL, but he's been a big scorer. And to him, this is just so huge, just for the reasons that you said. And Sam Flood, um, who is the... Uh, uh, you know, president of NBC uh, Sports Network and the guy, you know, who picks the guys who uh, are the, you know, the broadcasters and so forth. I asked him what he thought when he heard for the first time that the NHL was not going to send players. He said, I thought in 1980. And he, and he said, I did. He said, because, you know, we love a good story when we watch the Olympics and, you know, these will be. And I can testify that in 1992, uh, when I covered the team when they were in Maribel, France, uh, the biggest story of the Olympic Games was a guy named Ray LeBlanc, who was a minor oh, right. minor league goalie. I wrote two cover stories on him in back-to-back days, and when I was done, the editor said, I think you all emptied all chambers on you know, Ray LeBlanc. I, there was nothing <laughs> left to tell about him. And I remember a quote from one of those stories where he said, Art Berglund, who was the director of USA uh, uh, hockey national team said more people in America know Ray LeBlanc than Brian Leach and I, it was true wow. because the the stage where the Olympics are on is so big and I'll give you another example of that and Sam Flood brought this up um, so many people who watch the Olympics are not NHL fans like we got questions all the time when we're there about what team uh Alex Ovechkin was on, or what team Ryan Miller was on in 2010, because they just, they don't know. They're, there's so many fans. There are 330 million people in this country, and only a small percentage of them are NHL fans. So last year, when T.J. Oshie was the, uh, the big hero in, in the shootout and got all those shootout goals against Russia, uh, the story that I got up quickly had 35,000 Facebook shares. And Sam Flood said, to most of the people watching our telecast, T.J. Oshie was the best player in the National Hockey League. Right. Now he's not the best player in the National <laughs> right, Hockey League. Right, right. But to everybody who was watching who didn't know the sport, to them he was because he was the biggest event. And I think that's what everybody sort of understands about the sport, except maybe the fans, that if America catches fire, it won't matter whether it's NHL players or anyone else, uh, and everyone else is in the same boat, even if they're competing for a medal, I think – People will get excited. That, you know, they, you know, those people don't know T.J. Osi from Chris Bork. There are a lot of people who watch, and I would say, you know, and I'm, this is just a rough, rough guess, but, you know, what if it's seventy percent of the people who watch don't know NHL players? It, that's possible. It really is. Now the time difference is fourteen hours, and from what I understand in looking at it, some of the games will start at seven thirty in the morning, and some of the games will start at 10 o'clock in the morning. That doesn't seem to be, at least Eastern time, that much of a stretch of getting up maybe, in, you know, for someone like me who gets up right around 9 o'clock or something, you know, getting up a couple hours early to catch Olympic hockey. Uh, do you think that the time difference is a major stumbling block to maybe exposing these uh, 
this Olympic hockey or this Olympic team? Well, I, I, I don't think it will be because I agree with you. And in this day and age where everything can be DVD'd, uh, right. you know, DVR'd, I mean, that, uh, um, you know, everybody can sort of watch it on their own time. But uh, I think it was a problem for the NHL because, you know, they would really prefer their games be in prime time when, you know, more people can watch them live. But um, I think the NBC is pretty proud of the fact they're going to do all these games live. And, uh, you know, because they often are criticized, especially in border cities like, you know, you and I live in where you can watch the CBC feed. Uh, of course, I don't even know whether CBC even has them anymore. But yeah, I don't know. Sport, everything seems to be changing, changing up in Canada. In the old days, you could get right. live coverage, and then you'd have to wait until night to find out <laughs> you know, what really happened in the U.S. So. Well, I used to watch World Cup soccer, like when Diego Maradona was leading yeah. Argentina and stuff, on CBC, because they played all the games for the World Cup. I don't even know if they were even on in America back then, to be honest with you, because I don't think, unfortunately, like this year, uh, Team USA didn't qualify for many, many World Cups. But I guess going back, and, and my point is, is that a lot of people forget, that don't know, that the Miracle on Ice game against Russia was on tape delay. That wasn't broadcast live. Oh, yeah, live. no, that, that's right. You know, and uh, one of my roommates uh, back, in, I was back in college then, back in Ann Arbor, um, I was looking for it because I knew that they were playing. And, you know, in the last time they played was Madison Square Garden, you know, the Miracle on Ice team. And they were like, I don't know, shut out 10 nothing or 10-1. or It was not. Let's just say. It was ugly. Yeah, yes. The Soviet Union back then was all over them. But I was looking forward to the game. And I can remember I'm running down, you know, after class. And it's Friday afternoon. And uh, I think it was a Friday. And I'm running. And I'm, I'm, I'm going down. And I turn up, you know, our... Uh, our porch and I look and Billy had put out a huge sign like 4-3 Team USA over USSR. You know, he was celebrating. He was having this huge party. So it was kind of anti... I mean, I knew they won the game. You know, it hadn't been on television yet, but, you know, he was following it. I don't know how he followed it. There was no internet or anything back then, but um, I guess my point is is that, and, and I think you make it, and because we're so ingrained in the hockey culture that sometimes you make the assumption that everybody is almost as ingrained as you are, but what we don't realize is is that especially the Olympics, which is must-see TV, you know it's going to be, you know, two weeks, the country stands still and watches this, no matter what, winter or summer, that the exposure and what people think, what we think they, we assume they think they know what's really going on, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but they just don't. They really don't. You're right. I mean, you know, if, if Jim Slater ends up leading the, uh, uh, you know, the, the USA in scoring or something, or scores the game-winning goal, a gold medal game or, or, or whatever, people are going to ask me, and I know they're going to ask you, well, why don't the Red Wings, why can't the Red Wings get this guy? Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> Matt Gilroy will be a great example of that. If he's the top defenseman for USA, um, and he could be, um, and, you know, he has a lot of points, they'll be, in every city, they'll be, Fans are going, well, why don't we sign him? He's a free agent. Anybody could sign him, They're for sure. Because it'll, it'll be a, uh, you know, a, a high focus on the American players. And, you know, the, but, you know, it's the competition, you know. Right. Everybody there is of their own ability. There's no, you know, there's no uh, Austin Matthews or Jack Eichel there, you know. That's one of the great losses, too, and we haven't even touched upon that. This American team, if NHL would have set, would have been fun. At the very least, I mean, center ice with Austin uh, uh, Matthews and Jack Eichel and Trocheck. I mean, you know, to compare that to 
when the best center at the America for the World Cup was a guy, Joe Pavelski, who doesn't even play center in, right. in the NHL. Uh, you know, the, America was short on centers, and uh, now they're not. You know, now they've got premium centers, and um, they and you know the, the the team would have been much better. I mean, Brock Besser, you know, is coming on. He looks like he's going to be a, uh, a yeah a, a a superstar star, yeah. scorer. And you know, there's just uh, you know more players around. Even you know, Pasharetti's picked it up a little bit. Uh, so. You know, America, this was a loss not to be able to see these young stars. Dylan Larkin would have been the fourth-line center on that team, I'm pretty sure. And imagine, Dylan Larkin would have been, you know, he's a role player, but boy, he would have been a great role player. Well, right, and he, last year, after, you know, by his own admission, a a very disappointing sophomore season in the NHL, he rebounded very nicely uh, in the world championships, right. and it's kind of carried him through this season, where he is really, as I said, rebounded nicely. I, I, you know, you were reading my mind because I was going to say, if you really look at Team USA, uh, you know, when they had the World Cup of Hockey, and even though Team USA kind of, you know, pulled the shoot in that tournament and was eliminated fairly early, that Team North America, which right. was Canadians and Americans, but Virtually all the Americans on Team North America would have been, I would assume, would have been on this Olympic team. That would have been, you know, as you said, I don't know if they would have medaled or not, but you would have remembered them because of the style that they would have well, played. Well, for sure. And Seth Jones and Zach Wolinski oh, right. uh, would have been on that team as, as well, uh, you know, on defense. And, you know, Ryan Suter. Um, like, this just would have been the best team that we've had in a, in a long time. Right, so. Jonathan Quick and Nat, uh, probably. Yeah, yeah no, uh, for, for sure. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just that we're, we're about to see, um, you, know, you know, I don't know, I will never say this is going to be as good as the America's Greatest Generation, with its, which is with the, you know, the Kachuk, Chelios, Brian Leach, Garen, Roenick, Madano era, Pat LaFontaine. But, you know, this, this is going to be very good. I mean, you know, Matthews. And now, I mean, we've got some others we're going to add to that. You know, Brady Kachuk's coming up. Um, you know, uh, we're going to see the Hughes kids. Uh, and I say kids. The, the, you know, the, we got a really good one this year, and his brother could be even better next right. year. So, right. Quinn Hughes, who plays for the University of Michigan right now. Right. He'll go in the top seven or eight picks as a puck-moving defenseman, and then his brother next year could go number one. In 2019. Wow, it's really, yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I let me get this out of the way for people that, re, that listen to the Red and White Authority religiously. Rasmus Dahlin. Okay, I just yeah, said yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Well, you know. <laughs> he, and he's playing for Team well, Sweden. That, that, that's the point. One, the one guy who is a crossover for just being a Swedish player on one hand, but being a generational prospect defenseman is Dahlin. He'll be in that tournament, and I, you know, what I think of is going to at seventeen. At seventeen, yeah, and uh, it's not quite a, a good comparison because of the forward and defenseman, and the fact that uh, Solani was already uh, uh, drafted. But I remember covering him in '92, and uh, that was all the buzz there because you know he was an important player because you know it was an international tournament, but everyone was interested in what his uh, you know potential was going to be as a. NHL player, and that's what we're going to do. I mean, I will do both an NHL story about him and then probably talk about his importance at the tournament as well. So, um, because, you know, I mean, that's there's the sweepstakes, you know, just like there was uh, 
for Conor McDavid, the Conor McDavid sweepstakes, and now there's a Rasmus Dahlin sweepstakes. Well, I, I look at it, you know, and, and Charlie McAvoy for Boston's having a good, and he's only 20 years old, but yeah. there's always been this feeling that in a way, defensemen kind of are like left-handed starting pitchers. Maybe they take a little bit longer to mature. I mean, certainly you have you guys like Nick who comes in and is, is super right away, but he was a little older. He was like 21, 22 when he became, when he became a Red Wing, because I think he was drafted at 19, if I remember correctly. Anyway, my point being is this, is that how odd is it that you have a generational player that by all accounts, I mean, you talk to anybody, no one is downgrading him at all. I mean, he doesn't have any detractors or critics that I can find that you have a defenseman who's now 17. He's going to be the number one pick regardless. Yeah, there's no, that's, that's there's sure. no who, you know, he's, he's so good. Even if you don't think you need your team needs a defenseman, you need Erasmus Dahlin. Yeah. Uh, how odd is it that it's, it, it's coming from the back end, I guess, that a, a generational player, because McDavid, uh, Matthews, they've lived up to their hype. But this kid... Boom! I mean, in a defenseman, it's it's almost unprecedented. Well, yeah, it, it really is. And let's let's just compare him to some of the past number one, you know, picks. Like let's go back to Brian Berard. Um, right. Let's go back to Eric Johnson. Like right. you know, from what I understand, uh, and you know, we never know till he gets here. Like he's infinitely better than those two players, and they were good hockey players. Both of those were. But um, you know that. Darlene is going to be a game changer. Like he's going to change your team. And you know you're so right. Like, is the hardest thing now to fill, and certainly uh, fans in Detroit would agree, to fill position is a top pairing defenseman. I, I don't think there's any question about that because you are right. It does take time to develop them, uh, and they're just hard to find. Uh, you know, you get guys who are stars in junior leagues, and then they come up here, and when you find out, well, they're a four, you right, know, or a right. three, because you know. In, in today's game, to be a top-bearing defenseman, you know, you've got to be a superb transition player and you've got to be able to handle the rigors of the greatest, you know, top-scoring forwards in the league. And, you know, you've got to be able to log 25, 26 minutes. And, you know, that's hard to do. Uh, it really is. So, um, you know, and it, how long it takes for the Red Wings to transition into a highly competitive team again really is heavily dependent on how soon they can find, uh, you know, Young top pairing defensemen, or, right. or or to sign one. Right, right. I mean, I, I I agree with you. You know, and the way the NHL lottery system is, even if the Red Wings and I don't think this is going to happen, but if they were, let's say, to have the greatest chance percentagely of getting the number right. one pick, like Toronto did a couple of years ago with Austin Matthews, and it actually worked out for them. I'm not going to say there was a cold ping-pong ball theory and Patrick Ewing going around with the Leafs getting Matthews. <laughs> but uh, but, but uh, there's no guarantee that they would get him either. I mean, they, I mean yeah. so if you think, wow, you know, you know, tank Red Wings and get into the lottery, uh, well, they almost have just as good a chance if they play really hard and, you know, maybe they don't make the playoffs, but they don't get in the lottery is to just – Having the bottom drop out. I mean, this this lottery system. Do you think it'll be changed? Because if I hear one thing from fans and from officials, is is that they don't understand how Philadelphia, who had so many more points than and they drafted like fourth overall or something last year, it just doesn't seem fair because teams that were drafting behind them were like 25, 30 points behind them in the standings. Well. Uh... I don't think it's going to change because I think the reason we got here is because 
um, parity has made the difference in points um, so narrow that the difference between the uh, you know say the Red Wings and let's see who else is gonna are are the Red Wings and Coyotes like like really what's the difference in those teams like um, you know they, they I mean the points are gonna say there's a wide gap but are they really I mean the Colorado Avalanche were the worst team in the league last year they hardly did anything right uh, and uh, you know now they're a much better team in terms of functioning at, than the Red Wings so. Should they not have been, you know, should they, you know, I think that's why we're going to be in a position where it's hard to know who needs players more. In the old days, points were reflective of where you were, and, and I don't know that they are anymore. Well, and plus everything, there's a lot of three-point games now, too. Yeah, that's right. So that kind of inflates everything, the, you know, so you really have to look at it that way so as well. The, I mean, their thinking is if you're not a playoff team, you need some help. And, you know, we'll try to rank them a little bit. But, you know, your point is well taken. Because if you are the worst team in the league, you know, this, you know we could say that the sweepstakes is really the Brady-Kachuk sweepstakes. Because <laughs> you could tank. You're pretty, you, you know, you may not even get, get Brady-Kachuk because he'll be third. So, like, who's the fourth? Uh, yeah, is it Bouchard? Right. Uh, so... Um, you know, it, it is it is a little bit messy, but I, I don't see it changing. I think they're going to kind of keep it this way. And uh, uh, and the, one of the reasons they like the lottery is is to, uh, you know, prevent, and this is key, to prevent general managers from tanking because people sort of always say it's never the players. Players, I have never seen a player try to lose a game. Um, it is always the general managers. The way they do that is is by manipulating the lineup to make it weaker. Um, so you prevent uh, with the lottery system the way it is now. It, it, you just really can't tank, you know, because all you're going to get is at best a fourth best player. And in many years, that's not even remotely worth the uh, the effort to tank. No, I mean, I mean, if if, if a team is is tanking and prolonged losing streaks or and, and you know and, and and I know and you know we've talked about this Kevin for for a long time over the years is that you know tanking is almost as difficult as winning yeah well no I mean you got because players are working against it right right, right. I mean they're, they're, I've never met a player yet like if a coach went in and said to the players all right boys you got to go out and lose this game you know I'm pretty sure that we'd have to bleep out their response. Uh, they just wouldn't do that. That goes against everything they uh, they do. They, they they wouldn't do that. Well, no. I can remember when the Lions were, were on their way to 0-16, and, and I know Cleveland mentioned that. I can remember talking to players on the radio and, and just talking and people pulling me aside and saying, do you know how difficult it is to lose every game? I yeah. mean, that is tough. Yeah. I mean, it just... It defies logic, you know. Somewhere you have a good day, and the other team doesn't. You know, you you should at least be able to win one game in in your season, regardless if it's football. So I I, I want to get back, and before we, we we look at this tournament, and I'm going to try to put you on the spot because I'm looking at these rosters, and you're right, except for the Russian team, which is or. Uh, the, 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 is is what they're going by, um, I, and I'm not sure. Do you know what that's Olympic? Russian athletes. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the uh, no, the, the athletes of the the Olympic athletes of Russia, I think, is what it is. Okay, because because they have O A R, athletes Russia, Olympic 
Athletes Russia, maybe something like that. Olympic athletes of Russia. Of Russia, okay, okay. Olympic athletes of Russia. So we'll get into that in a second. But the state of USA hockey right now, uh, without JJ, without Jim Johansson, I mean, is it? I mean, obviously it's in flux. But is is it in crisis mode or? Did Jim Johansson do such a good job and had you know a yeah. lot of guys in a system in place where even though gosh he's he's he could will never be replaced but that yeah. it can continue on? Yeah, no, no, there there is with safeguards in place, uh, and uh, you know Ben Smith, who everybody may remember from being the, the you know the first women's coach when USA won in 1998 at the Olympics the gold medal. He was the coach. He's been involved in USA Hockey for years. He was the sort of d- director of, uh, of player development uh, for the program. He's going to be sort of the interim general manager. But I sense that Tony Granato will have a bigger say now, even than he had before. I think a say before with Jimmy uh, Johansson was pretty strong. But I think now, if there's a player injured, I would bet that Ben Smith's going to say, Tony, what do you think? Who would you need? Now, Jimmy would have done that too. Right. Because, you know, you need to... Uh, work with your coach on that as well. Uh, but you know what? I, I've said this before. I think they almost need, for all that Jim Johansson was doing, they probably need three guys to do that. Uh, you know, they're going to have to break it up with, uh, you know, somebody else, uh, um, you know, doing national teams and somebody else being in charge of it because he had so many responsibilities and it was probably too much, to be honest, uh, for him to do it. So, But I think they're fine. And I know the players were going to have a meeting uh, once they got over there and decide, you know, are they going to put uh, uh, JJ on their, uh, you know, helmets or are they going to dedicate the tournament? I, I, they'll do something because most of those players, like their only connection to what was going on in the U.S. was Jim Johansson. Mm-hmm. Like he kept in contact with a lot of Americans who were playing abroad. And there's more than 200 of them. I mean, uh, people are stunned when I tell them that, but... There are 200 Americans playing in pro leagues in Europe. Like, that's a lot of players. Yeah, that is a lot. Uh, and, you know, and when you consider that we now have almost 29% of the NHL population is now American. Can you imagine that? You know, in 69, I say this all the time, but it, it always bears repeating. In 1969, we sent more men to the moon than we sent to the National Hockey League. <laughs> Only five Americans played in the NHL in 69. Six Americans made lunar orbits. Now... So 31, 48 years later, almost 29% of the NHL is American. Now, um, you know, in a country of 330 million people, we, we should be strong. But it takes a while, but that's significant, you know. It wasn't all that long ago, what, eight or nine years ago, 10 years ago, somewhere in there, we were about 17. Um, there are more players coming out of the state of New York who are in the NHL than from Russia. Well, I was going to say, and it's no longer the three M's anymore, Michigan, Minnesota, Massachusetts. That was like, if you wanted to look at NHL players, chances are they were from one of those three states, but not anymore. Not anymore. No, no, the hockey belt, you know, extends uh, everywhere. And, uh, you know, I mean, Gostaspierre is from Florida. Right. Uh, And, you know, Quinn Hughes is from Florida. Yeah, that's right. Chikrin, who considers himself a Canadian because in his formative years he moved to Canada, but in his developmental years, Chikrin played his best, you know, his hockey in Florida. Um, they, uh, you know, he was, his dad uh, settled there and he played there and I think they went back to Canada when he was like 13 or 14. 
Right. So and, he was developed there. And, you know, Brady Kachuk and uh, Matthew Kachuk. I mean, St. Louis has become a hotbed. Hot yeah. Sure. Kel- uh, yeah, Keller. Who's right, right. Clayton Keller, Clayton Keller. The Kachuks, uh, Logan Brown. Uh, what happened in St. Louis is Art Berglund used to have a great line when he said the best thing for American hockey is that Canadian men like American women. Because he said <laughs> they, they ended up settling in America with their American wives. They put down roots. And at one point, the top youth teams in St. Louis were coached by Jeff Brown, whose son Logan Brown, of course, is uh, the Ottawa Senators' top prospect. Al McGinnis was coaching. Keith Kachuk um, was coaching. There were a lot of just really terrific coaches in St. Louis. And it's, it, it, it spawned a whole collection of good uh, young players. Kunis, who's in the Minnesota Wild, came right. out of St. Louis as well. So a lot of quality players. And the same thing happened in, down in Florida where uh, Bradley, the, the player that was playing down there, ended up starting a program. And Jimmy Jan- Johnson started a program in Arizona, the ex-NHL player. And usually those NHL players, they, once they start a program, they start developing high-level elite talent, and that's what's happened. I know we have a lot of Canadian listeners and a lot of Canadian women listeners to this podcast. You're beautiful, too. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to start any kind of international incident no, here, no, but no, no but no, but it, it, but you're right. I mean, you know, it, it, it is unreal, and I know a lot of players after playing days home, they go back home. You know, regardless yeah. of what country they're from, but there are a lot of kids that have played for Team USA whose fathers are Canadian. Yeah, it, it, no, you know, no, that's no, just, no, that's right, and yeah, and I, I didn't mean it as a demeaning. If you're no, no, I know. I'm just joking. I'm just, I'm just joking. But it's, <laughs> it's a good joke. Yeah, joke. it really is. But uh, yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, it, it's going to be. I'm actually going to be covering the women over there as well. So really, yeah. Well, I I know that uh, you know t- it's comes down to Team USA and Team Canada again. Yeah, I would yeah, imagine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, and you know, like before, you know, like you joke around in the NHL, and you really do joke around because the regular season in my opinion is tremendous fun just trying to get into the playoffs but you know you could say well you could just skip the, the regular season in the NHL and move right to the playoffs well in women's hockey you could really do that right, right, <laughs> you, right. you could just skip everything else and say alright let's just put Canada and the US in for the right, goal right. So. let's just have them play like 25 games and you know yeah. whatever whoever you know best wins 13 yeah, best of 25 <laughs> first one to 13 wins well whatever. and it would probably honestly you probably have to play all 25 because yeah. you know they're really they're within a half goal each other all the time and all the oddity of this year was that the uh, the Canadian you know there's a big streak that the Americans on for winning world championships but in the pre-tournament uh, Canada won all four games. Right. No, I know that. Yeah, they were close and yeah, uh, and all that. Close. But I mean, there always are. Right. Uh, it, it reminds me of the I, leading up into the pre-tournament. Team USA was the dominant team, but then in the gold medal game, Team Canada won. So you know, right. maybe the fortunes will be reversed this time around. Um, I, I, how much has the development program first in Ann Arbor, and then now in Plymouth, where the old Plymouth right. Whalers used to play? How instrumental was that in, because I know that the goal was, is they wanted to have the best players in the world, all on the, under 17, under 18, all play on a team, and develop a U.S. system and style of hockey. Is that why the game has grown like it has, because of that program? Or has the sport grown on its own, and it's just proved out to be a feeder line into that program? Well, it's, it's been everything. Um, 
I think it's been you know complicated. I, I, I think really what's helped the most, in my opinion, is the expansion of hockey into non-traditional markets. You know, when you put teams in Florida, two in Florida, and you add uh, uh, teams in Arizona and you know you in California, uh, you know that's created Carolina. That's created feeder systems and arenas were built, and it's created you know more and more players, and that's you know certainly true. However, the you know the the national team development program, which is sort of a Juilliard school of hockey, <laughs> where you know the best. Uh, you know, players in theory from around the country go and play there. That's created, um, you know, high-level players. Like, you know, Patrick Kane came out of there. Right. Austin Matthews came out of there. Jack Eichel came out of there. Well, that tells you something. You know, they're getting the right people because these are dominant players. You know, Zach Wierenski, Seth Jones. Like, these are all just premium players. And so I think once you get there, the, you know, the biggest thing about that program that's sometimes lost is the amount of time they spent training. Like, you know, you're in the right. weight room, you're in a program, you're like in a, in a college athletic environment at, at a young age where you're, you know, having uh, people who know what they're doing, you know, helping you train and become, you know, better physical specimens as, uh, in addition to. And, you know, you have to learn to get ice time there. You're competing against the best in the country for ice time. So you've got to do everything well. I mean, Dylan Larkin is a great example mm -hmm. of that. He comes to the Red Wings. He knows how to play the game at all different levels. Now, you develop bad habits at the NHL level. You wouldn't think that would happen, but you know, you, you, you're trying your hardest to, to uh, earn your minutes and some you get away from your fundamentals. But I guarantee you, Dylan Larkin would be first to tell you that he learned everything he needed to know to be successful. At that national development program. Well, right. I mean, I thought going back when we were talking about Jim Johansson, you know, he he ended his uh, post game comments when he paid a little tribute to JJ, saying, "I can't wait to put on the USA jersey again because I'm going to be playing for him." And I think that's all you need yeah. to know about Jim Johansson and what he thinks of USA hockey yeah. and everything that's happened to him. Well, you know, I've said before. I wrote a column about this. Uh, people wonder when we're going to do something at the World Championships because, um, and I reminded everyone that, you know, it wasn't long ago when Sidney Crosby, after he was done, scratched himself and said, you know, it might be time for me to go over and try to win a World Championship. And calls were made. And buddies <laughs> got together and I, I, I wrote a column where I said, when's the U.S. going to win a World Championship? When the stars are aligned and several teams with good players are out, and if the Red Wings are out for Dylan Larkin and say the Maple Leafs are out, Dylan to call up Austin Matthews or maybe Jack Eichel and say, boys, let's go over and win a world championship. And this is the first generation of American players that would do that. Like, these guys like to win at the international level. They like beating Canada. They like doing that. This group of guys, the Seth Jones, the Wierenskis, the Dylan Larkins, the Matthews, the Eichels, all of those guys, they're the type of guys that would do that. They would get on the phone. They would look around and see who's out of the playoffs and say, you know, I bet we can win with this group. And they would get on the phone and work it out. And that's going to happen. I, you know, I don't know when because you never know who's going to be in the playoffs. But this generation of American players cares greatly, 
greatly about winning with American Jersey. You know, it's interesting you would say that because whenever you talk to a player and you bring up the national team, now the Europeans always, I mean, for the longest time, that was their goal to make their national team. They didn't even have NHL aspirations. Well, I mean, there's no prouder guy to wear his country's uniform than Alex Ovechkin. Right, right. Every year. Sign me up. When do I leave? You know, I'm ready to go. You got a flight? You know, <laughs> you know. I think he's only skipped one time. Right. Like I, I have all the time in the world for Alex Ovechkin because he comes ready to play All Star game. Do you, do you ever wonder whether Alex Ovechkin's going to beg off? He shows up. Yeah, right. He goes to the game. He's at the press conferences. He says his thing. He loves playing. He loves playing for his country, and that's. Uh, as I said, I think this American group's like that. Right. No, I agree with you. You can talk, you know, talking to Dylan, even Jimmy, though, and I know Jimmy's not part of that generation, right. but he played at the development program. I mean, when they talk about Team USA, they're serious about it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it, it means something to them. And, uh, I, Kevin, I, I want to go, there's three groups in this Olympic hockey. There's Group A, Group B, and Group C. Uh, group A is Team Canada, the Czech Republic, Switzerland, and Korea. And I, let me ask you this. Korea, look at the roster. Okay, now there, there's, I, I would assume that there are some players of Korean descent on it, but it really s- seems that there is uh, uh, quite a few North American-sounding names. Uh, what is the res- – is there a residency rule? I mean, can yeah, you recruit I, I, or – Well, you, you can't recruit, but, you, you know, basically – you can get creative in terms of ancestry. Uh, you know, usually in the old days, uh, prior to the NHL players, the Italian team used to have guys like Bob Mano and guys that whose, Mano, yeah. whose names ended in a vowel. And, you know, they would think. But you essentially have to research your ancestry. And you, I believe you got to have at least grandparents that were born, you know, in the country. And, uh, and that's getting harder and harder to do, but not for people from Korea because there are people who are still immigrating now. So right. that's what ends up happening. I mean, I think they've come over here and, you know, I, I'm guessing those people you see, and it's just a guess, but, you know, either have one parent um, who uh, is of Korean descent. Uh, right. I mean, we've got guys like Matt Dalton, Eric Regan, Brian Young. Yeah. I mean, Young could be, you know, and I'm not trying yeah. to disparage them, but no, no, Michael but, Swift, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking that, to myself. My guess is they have Korean mothers or, um, you know, Korean grandparents, uh, something of that nature. Because we know our good buddy Chris Chelios, didn't he want to make the Greek bobsledding yeah, team or something? Yeah, yeah, you know, You know, there are specific rules. I don't know them off the top, but, but about ancestry. And I know it's been tightened up a little bit. But I thought that, you know, you can go as far back as your grandparents. Yeah, I don't want to break every team down or anything, but out of Group A, Canada, Czech Republic, Switzerland, and is, did Korea qualify or is it because they're the host nation? Host nation. Yes. They did not qualify. Yeah, I, I, I would think, gosh, they, you know. Because if they hold any team under double digits, they'll be doing well. So, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Because I was going to say, going back to China, Iron Mike Keenan was in China trying to promote the game as a coach. I think he was recently fired, but you're right. I mean, there is a lot of interest in trying to make hockey work in China. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, they they see that. I mean, just in the uh, jersey sales alone over there is is huge money. I mean, you know, there's a lot, there's billions, literally billions of people over there. And, you know, they want to get the NHL brand over there and they want them to get you know the big thing too is they're doing this esports where people watch other p- 
people gaming. And uh, Gary Bettman was asked a question about that at the All-Star Game. He said they're very close to a deal. Really? And so, you know, they'll be sharing in that pie, too. Where uh, And apparently it's big money. I, I read a story where it said there are um, something like 250 million people who watch the NFL on Sundays in stadiums. And there's 220 million who watch people game on a regular basis. So they're almost now as big as the NFL. So. Wow, that's... Yeah, I mean to each his own. I I, I can't see me doing that, but well, you're, no. but 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 you know, two hundred twenty million people can't be wrong, right? I mean, no, there's I, something going yeah, on. I see you and I parked and watching the center ice back into <laughs> right, the Vegas exactly, Golden Knights. Yeah, that's so. exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Why aren't the Knights on every night? Uh, they're an extraordinary watch. We'll get into that a little bit. Uh, so I would look if you look at Group A: Canada, Czech Republic, Switzerland, except for Korea. Is it because it's such a crapshoot? Is there a favorite? Do you? Yeah. Is, well, there, is, there it is. should Ru- be Canada. Or? I, I think Russia is the favorite by without far, question. Without yes. question, because they have such identifiable um, top players. I think Sweden, uh, and it's just a gut hunch. Uh, I'm listing as my silver, and then I see Canada and U.S. competing for the bronze, and maybe that's just wishful thinking. But, but uh, I, you know, really, all those teams other than Russia are in the same boat. I, I just think it's a pick 'em tournament. And you're going to get, you're really going to need to get lucky. I think it's going to be low scoring. I, uh, I, I just think, uh, you know, the top goal scorers, they're not there. You know, they're all over in the NHL. Right. So, uh, and the defensemen there are all, you know, like Jim Johansson told me that the defensive group with guys like Noah Welch and, uh, you know, Gilroy, that they'll be able, they know how to play hockey. They'll keep the puck, you know, out of their zone and so forth. So it's just a question is who's going to be able to find the net. If you love the sport, and even though you're a fan of the NHL and your team's going to be playing during the Olympics, I would imagine it's still Olympic hockey, it's still the Olympics, that there's going to probably be a little bit of a drop-off in interest, maybe from hockey fans, but as you said earlier, not from Olympic fans. Well, no, because Art, <laughs> when you're watching the Olympics on a Tuesday night, now, you don't give a, a fig about bobsled right. uh, three years later. But I guarantee you if there's an American sled right. about to going down and they blow the start, you'll be out of your seat going, what are you guys doing? <laughs> really, really? As, as if you're an expert on that. Right, and right. Th- that will indeed happen um, with hockey. People get caught up. They'll see the American team. If the American team bombs, people will, uh, Olympic fans will be, they'll be upset. And right, right. You know, ab- about it. So. You know, uh, there's still pressure on these guys. It'll still be a tournament. Nobody will know the players from the other teams as well. Like, it's not like uh, we're going to see Sweden and there'll be a bunch of guys that we can identify with. So, um, you know, we're just back to the days of Ray LeBlanc. And you got to hope that, you know, just Ray stood on his head back in uh, Maribel in 92 and everybody was exciting about it. And, uh, you know, every, uh, they started the broadcast with talking to his wife. And, you know, I mean, and, so it'll be... It'll be fun. Right. Well, the pros, the TV people are still there. They know how to present something. Sure. So, so it doesn't matter who, you know, they're going to present the sport. And they do it, they do it so well that you're right. Yeah, their, yeah. Stories all, their story's all over. Yeah. I, Jim Johansson, uh, before he died, said, you know, there's going to be 23 great American stories <laughs> right, on this team. And there will be. I mean, these are all guys that are so proud to... Uh, uh, to wear the uniform, and I think it'll be uh, it'll, it'll be compelling. I, I I hope they perform well because I really do think it's important. The, the hockey is one of the um, 
the important sports uh, at the Olympics. So I, you, for the American team not to perform well, I think will be a disappointment for all American teams. Now, did you see, now you've seen this team play or a preliminary team when they were still going through some trials. I thought you covered some USA hockey. Well, no, I, I hoped to have gone over to the Deutschland Cup, but oh. I was unable to get over there because I can't remember what it conflicted with, but it did, and I was unable to... Uh, uh, to go, but you know, it, it, the team did not play well at the Deutschland Cup. However, uh, the team hadn't been finalized. They were playing everyone equal amounts of time because they were trying to figure out right. the guys they wanted. So it wasn't a real true representation of how they were doing. Like Chris Bork wasn't on that team. The college players weren't on that team. You know, there was no Terry. There was no Donato. Um, all the guys that they're going to be counting on. So um, I don't think that was a, a good representation. But you know, to be honest, I, I, I don't think anybody knows. I don't think Tony Granato knows. I don't think, uh, you know, anybody in Sweden knows how good that team is. It really is an odd because, you know, in every country has a collection of players that they know is in their pool. But they're all NHL players. Right. So right. none of those guys are here. Right. You know, right. so it's like when you go and you take your kid to college. And I remember when I took my daughter to Michigan State the first time, my oldest one, she goes, you know those 97 percentile, the people that your kids were smarter than in the SAT, none of those people are here. You know, They didn't get to come to, to Michigan State. Well, right. that's the whole thing there. None of the top players in the world, they're not at this tournament. So it doesn't matter that, that uh, you know, Canada has the greatest collection of talent and that U.S. has Austin Matthews. All that matters is the, the collection of players that are still left in Europe. It's really sort of the, a European championship. Right, because that's who's playing it. Right, it's still the Olympics. Um, right. This whole thing with Russia, people keep asking me. I thought that they were banned. Yeah. Now they're playing. Uh, is it like you know? No flags. No flags. A yeah. case by case basis, or no, no, no. It's essentially their Olympic team, but they're not under the banner of Russia. Not under the banner of Russia. They'll play as as athletes from Russia, um, so they're not penalizing. The players now; these players will all be subjected to, uh, um, you know, ran drug testing, and so for random drug testing. But you can guess that the Russian players will be tested more than, than other teams. I, I would think. I you know I don't know how it all works, but I would think so, given their history and the fact they were banned for yeah. that. They'll probably have a a, a team urologist or whatever, or Olympic urologist or something. Uh, but it's still going to be Olympic hockey, and yeah. really, and, and you know, your country's out there, and, and these fellas are representing us. And so, I mean, obviously, I, I, I can't see it being much of a drop-off, to be honest. I mean, I think there's disappointment, certainly, but I do yeah. think once this tournament gets going, people are going to get sure. caught I mean, up in it. Competition is competition, and, uh, you know, it you know, doesn't take long to get people worked up and fired up and uh, caught up on, you know, who's, I mean, by the third game, Everybody in America will know the who the top U.S. players are, and if the if the goalie is terrible, you know they'll they'll be mad at him. Right, right. Yeah. Well, they will be. It's it's the American way. It is the American way. The bomb, throw the bomb out. Yeah. Well, you you're going to have an interesting Olympics because you're going to be flying home, and when you arrive yeah. on American soil, it happens to fall coincide. I think you might even be landing. At the trade deadline day, February uh, 26th, I think it is, and uh, 
It is February 26th at 3 p.m. I think, I, I guess, are you touchdowning at Metro or something? Or? Yeah, no. I, then I, what do you yeah. do? Go right into the lobby and start writing <laughs> stories? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't. We haven't figured that part out yet. But, um, you know, I'll certainly be following it as I'm flying home if, if the wireless works. Uh, but uh, this is the first trade deadline that I'm missing in 32 years. Uh, so I'm a little disappointed by that and disappointed that this is the year where they had it a little bit earlier than usual. And I almost feel like um, they did that on purpose, you know, kind of to say, we don't care what's happening in the Olympics, we're going to do it here. But, you know, there is a sort of a, the way that they uh, figured out is by formula, so maybe that's just how it fell on the, can on the calendar. But saying all that, I mean, I think this is going to be a fun deadline, including in Detroit, where Mike Green is the... Uh, I, I think he's in the top two players in terms of intrigue and interest. Um, you know, I think Evander Kane is another one that everyone's talking about. You know, where is he going to go? He's a prime rental. He could really help, you know, a contender. And uh, uh, I, I almost felt like Mike Green was auditioning when he was down in front of the Tampa fans uh, down at the All-Star game because, boy, wouldn't he be a great fit down there? They're looking for a top four defenseman, a right shot defenseman. You know, a puck mover, he can do all those kind of things. And, you know, he has the, the hammer. He can say where he wants to go because he has a no-trade clause. So um, that could uh, hamper, uh, depending on where Mike is willing to go, could hamper Detroit's ability to get a first-round pick for him. Right. I, I, I People look at, you know, I, I think a couple of things from last year's trade deadline. People were amazed that Chicago would give up a third-round pick for Thomas Yurko. And that they could only get a second round pick for Thomas Vanek. So they're all, the assumption is, and I, you touched upon it, is that, well, Green, because he's a right-handed shooting defenseman, which is rare in itself, uh, former Norris Trophy finalist, uh, by his own admission when he was with Washington, he never thought about playing defense. He's a much better, well-rounded player now. Yep. Uh, that Detroit's going to get a number one pick at least for him. Yeah, well... They should. I've asked general managers around the league, and they think that Detroit will. But, again, it depends on how, how many teams he's willing to go to. If he's only willing to go to the Tampa Bay Lightning, why would Steve Eiserman give Ken Holland a first-round pick? No, you know, you're right. Why would he? Uh, uh, I, I, I look at it, and I think that there seems to be some speculation or wishful thinking. People have run this by me. Well... And you, Kevin, you know this as well as anybody. When you do what we do, people are always coming up to you saying, hey, I, I got something you might be interested in. One of the things that a lot of people have come up to me, and you know, who knows, I might have started with one person and then it just kind of mushroomed, is that Green will probably waive his no trade almost to anybody because he's going to come back to Detroit in the offseason and sign with the Red Wings when he becomes a free agent. Yeah, you know, that was the Thomas Vanek was going to do the same thing. Yeah, so was Cespedes too. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, Cespedes was ne going to be a ne Tiger again. Ne needless to say, I haven't seen any of those. Right, players. he he <laughs> loves Cabrera. He's back. Uh, I think of the Red Wings. Not that they don't like Mike Green, and he's been a good fit. I don't think Mike Green number one. I, I you know, I on the open market, I didn't get more than like three million or whatever the Red Wings would pay him three point five uh, a season, even though he's getting a little bit older. But 
I think the Red Wings are, and the feeling I get, that they're in full, we got to get younger mode here. I think that they're just going to stockpile draft picks and then see what, you know, see what they have. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've learned never to say never. Like, a lot depends on, like, they weren't going to sign Mike Green when they did, but suddenly he came down to where, you know, he was no longer looking for a five-year deal and the price got better and... And that's what ends up happening, you know. Um, so uh, if Green went to market and he couldn't get a long-term deal and his money came down and he was looking for a one-year deal, would they do? Well, yeah, you know, probably would. But I agree with you. I think mostly they're looking for um, – I think the strategy, in my opinion, seems to be pointed toward 2019 when there's a lot of money that comes off the books and there's going to be a lot of defensemen available in the uh, the marketplace. Now, that's in theory, because they all can right. resign. Right. Carlson, McDonough, uh, Drew Doughty, Ekman Larson, they could all, uh, Tyler Myers, they could all go back and resign with their teams. But you would think one of them, one of the, one of the piggies would go to market. Um, and so, do you think that one's going to be Carlson? Because that whole Ottawa scene yeah, seems like I, a mess. I, I, I don't know. I, I just did my podcast today, and I had Bruce Garriock of the Ottawa Sun on, and he called it 50-50. Really? Yeah. So, and I trust Bruce. He's covered that team a long time. The way it was explained to me by some people, they, 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 you know, they were saying that the Red Wings might as well have a for sale sign tacked onto their locker room door at Little Caesars <laughs> Arena. That they're really in a selling mode, and except for very few players, they would without question move everybody. Do you, do you think that's fair? Do you think that they're that that is their mindset? Because I personally, I don't see them just saying everybody's available. But then again, you know the old thing: if Wayne Gretzky can get traded, anybody can. Yeah. But I, I see them being a little more guarded than that. Well, this is the way I would look at it: uh, if I was king and I was running the team, obviously we all know who the untouchables should be. You know, it's Larkin and Mantha and Anthony Siu and, and Bertuzzi. Um, and then there's, you got to start to, you know, to think about it. You know, like um, one of the under-publicized um, good decisions by the Maple Leafs, Lamarill and Babcock, was they kept James Van Riemsdyk. Mm -hmm. And uh, people were always talking, well, they're going to trade him, they're going to trade him, he doesn't fit in the age grouping. But he wasn't that far removed from it. And you, they know you need guys like that. So... You know, what the Red Wings have to decide is, um, you know, do you keep guys like Nyquist and Tatar around? Um, because, you know, you're, you can develop all those good young players, but you still got to surround them with guys that can help them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those guys, you know, can score. And, you know, Tatar has been a, a uh, you know, a proven scorer. Um, you know, he's consistently been above 20 goals. So, you know, I see him. I don't know that he's an untouchable, but I see they, you know, would be happy to keep him around. And the other issue is, and we've talked about this before, they, they don't have a lot of movable guys because their their contracts are not easily moved. I yeah, mean, they're cumbersome. Yeah, everybody's capped out these days, and so it's hard to move guys with with years. So I don't know who they have that they can actually move. Uh, they don't have many guys, to be honest with you, uh, without uh, having to, you know, eat some salary. So, you know, uh, I... I I would be shocked that you know that they moved a lot of guys. To be honest with you, I think it'll just mostly be green. So. I remember the days, as you very well do, where trade trade deadline day, especially here in Detroit, 
was Christmas morning. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean it, it was all over what the league. What star are they going to get? Right, what star are they going to get? And, and, and a lot of moves were made all over the league. Now I turned into the NHL network, which picks up the TSN feed, and, you know, these guys are talking about, well, back in 1940, uh, you know, so-and-so uh, thought he was going to be a Montreal Maroon, if you can believe it. You know, yeah. I mean, because they're kill trying to kill time because nothing happens anymore. Is that just the norm now? You know, because, I mean, trades are made, I guess, but they're not of the, you know, wow variety. And they seem to be few and far between. And then right at the end, maybe like six deals are done. I mean, because yeah. it, it, well. it's really not what it used to be. A lot of six-inch, eight-inch perch when we we like two-pound walleye. So, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how it is. I mean, it used to be, you know, in Canada, you know, people take off work to watch the trade deadline. And uh, I just heard a story of a journalist who was just telling me that when he was a kid, back in the days of sports phone, he ran up a $200 bill calling the sports phone every 10 minutes. <laughs> I bet his parents were, were yeah, pleased. Yeah, not pleased. Yeah, not all that. Um, but what, what's happened is, is we now have a mature salary cap. And by that, I mean, you know, everybody is just sort of capped out. And they're, you know, they don't have any maneuverability. And so we can't make all those moves. And um, unless somehow, apparently David Poyle and Jim Rutherford have magic dust. Yeah. That I, they spray... They throw around in the air, and somehow it allows them to do crazy things because it's remarkable how uh, Jim uh, Jim Rutherford is the greatest trader in NHL history. I don't know any how you could describe it. And uh, David Poyle is the boldest trader in NHL history. You look at the deals he's made. You know, Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson, right. Shea Weber and P.K. Subban. He's traded for, uh, you know, Forsberg, uh uh, both Forsbergs. You know, mm -hmm. he traded for Philip, and he traded for Peter years before that. Um, you know, he makes just big, bold trades. Uh, he, he always has, going back to the days of even Ron Langway when he was in so Washington. So, you know, in Ken Holland's history, Ken has made a lot of trades, but they've mostly been trades where uh, he's giving up prospects and so forth to bring in, you know, premium players. Now, he's on the other end of those trades, so... Uh, I'm sure it's not where he wants to be, but um, you know, I, you know, the green certainly will be traded, and then we'll see what happens from there. But I don't think it's going to be a big day for the Red Wings other than green. When you look at it, these, you know, at the at the NHL draft in Chicago last year, and heading into this season, uh, everyone thought that the Vegas Golden Knights would be sellers that they were accumulating draft picks and a lot of defensemen, and they were going to maneuver around. I don't know what their cap situation is or what their, what their long-term, if that was their long-term goal, the way this team is playing where they could be the top seed in the West and have home, at least home ice advantage throughout the Western Conference playoff run. Are they buyers? Are they sellers? Do they stand pat? Because they're, what, what, if you were running the Golden Knights right now, what would you do? I'm a buyer. Uh, that's what I would do, and but I'd be careful, and I think they will too. Their chemistry is what makes them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, again, I just got into a lengthy discussion about what they do this summer. You know, and here, here's an interesting thing. John Tavares, if he's available, if you start going around the league and eliminating teams that can't or won't make a play or he won't go to, what you have left is a very small group. Yeah. Now, Las Vegas would be in that group. Now, would he consider going to Las Vegas, and would they do that? Because I will tell you this, 
I'm positive that if one of those big defensemen is available in 2019, Vegas is going to go hard after him because they made a big pit. They were going to go hard after Brent Burns mm -hmm. because you look at their, like they have forwards that they don't want to disrupt. Carlson has developed. Uh, Eric uh, Halla has uh, uh, developed as well. They've... Um, Riley Smith's always been a good yeah, player. Marcia So is there. Marcia I mean, so right. There's been a bunch of guys there that have taken a step in their development, and they got to make sure that they, they they continue on that. So my point is, is I, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but they have to think about Tavares a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but they did just a little bit because I think they ultimately they would go. How could you not go after John Tavares? But. Uh, anyway, but they have to think about it, but they won't think about a defense. But in 2019, they'll be in the mix. They'll be fighting the Red Wings for whoever's out there. And, you know, suddenly, you know, I, I, you talk to the players out there, like James Neal, they're not in any hurry to sign him because he wants to stay there. So they could wait till May or June and uh, still sign him, even though he's going to be an unrestricted. They're not going to trade James Neal. So. You know, I Anybody who's been at T-Mobile Arena where the uh, Golden Knights play, it's right on the Strip. You walk out and you're essentially on the Vegas Strip. Well, and it's nuts. Like, it is. It's like you can't even describe how crazy it is. I mean, Alex Ovechkin said, uh, are we playing hockey or are we having a pool party here? Like it, it, <laughs> it's just a hard, uh, you know, everybody, it's like playing in Nashville right now. So. Well, again, I'm going to have you put on your general managers or coaches cap. I mean, Toronto stayed like 35 minutes out of Vegas and got uh, – uh, got beat like 6-3 or something pretty bad because they didn't want their team. And they're a bunch of, they're a younger club. They didn't want them you know, hanging out on the strip. The Red Wings stayed at Caesars Palace, which they could almost walk to T-Mobile Arena from there. But they won. Uh, and they won. They were one of the only <laughs> teams. I mean, what would you do? I mean, uh, they, I, you know what? You could get in trouble in Poughkeepsie, New York. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know that, like, I, I don't see that. I don't, I'm not buying the whole Vegas flu. But saying all that, you know, it's not just the Golden Knights that have a great home record. You go back to that Vegas team that they had, the one with Radding Bonk on it, that played in the IHL. They had great home records, too. So, you know, this whole idea that teams come in and they struggle to play good hockey uh, in Vegas, you know, it's been going on for a while. So maybe there is something to it. But I, I would just say, you know, this is, you know, John Tortorella just raised his hand and said, go at it, boys. Whatever you're going to do, you're going to do. And, uh, you know, it's this hope that we play good hockey, you know. So, <laughs> and they didn't. Uh, but, but, you know, what, what are you going to do? It's Sin City, go out there, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, it's not the only place in America you can gamble. I mean, you can right. gamble. Uh, you know, you and I could be gambling as we're doing this podcast if right. we wanted to. Right. We could just have our phones going and off we go. So, you know, it's not like the old days. Um, and, uh, you know. Uh, you know, I don't. I I think you just got to do what you normally do. I tell you one thing though, I wouldn't spend three or four days there if I was the team. I I you know like if oh, you're no. going out for a West Coast trip, uh, you know I'd say and you're looking at way and if your next game is four days later in California, I'm saying we're going to California. Can you see it the morning you get you get on the bus, you do a head count, and it's yeah. like, hey, we're missing three guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I've seen that movie. It's, it's <laughs> Yeah. Well, this is a story that I'm not so sure we want to tell. Um, can they win the cup? Well, you would have said no four months ago, but I think it's possible. I mean, you know, all you need is an invitation, uh, and they'll have that. And as you mentioned, they could have home ice advantage. 
I think the West is more wide open than normal. Uh, it is. So why not? So I, and if you can get to the final, you can win the final. So I, you know, I still hard for me to believe they're gonna do it, but it's certainly more plausible than uh, it's. You know, I like Nashville quite a bit now in the West. The way they're playing. Well, with Mike Fisher back too. Yeah, no, and Mike Fisher, like, even if he does nothing on the ice, he comes in the dressing room every day, and anybody who's ever talked to Mike Fisher knows his value. Like, some of Mike uh, Fisher's teammates said, hey, come back. We, we need you in the room. And he's just such a, uh, a good guy, and he's been around the block, and he's a good defensive player. And, like, he, you know, on this team, like, he, last year in the finals, he was in the top six role. You know, he'll be a fourth liner now. Uh, this team is is greatly improved uh, right. over last season. So, uh, you know, we can go on. One final question. I'm not sure how far we've gone, but I, I know we're running. You know, we should probably wrap it up here because you're busy, and you know, I want to watch the Red Wings. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. so, but but if Vegas wins the Stanley Cup, first of all, as a sports story in general, I I I think it's a, it's the sports story of the year. Yeah. But is it good or bad for the NHL to have an expansion team win your championship? Well, I, I think it's good because I think it it shows that the actually um, George McPhee uh, I quoted him on this saying you know this is a um, important story for all of sports because if you're going to expand now no matter what league you're in like this is the model right. like you know uh, why have they spent all these years making it impossible for expansion teams to compete, thereby making it uh, less likely they're going to succeed as a franchise. You know, the fact that the Vegas Golden Knights were able to roar out of the gate because they got a better shake through the expansion draft, um, you know, certainly Seattle expects that now. When right. they're, they're coming in, and then, you know, when Quebec and Houston come in in a few years, they're going to want that as well. And I think if you're an NFL team and you're going to expand at some point to Vegas as well, I, I think the owner there is going, ah, oh, did you see what the hockey owner in Vegas got? I need to get that. I need to compete right away. And I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't want your teams to compete right away. So, and, and, you know, and you're paying these, uh, like I, I joked around the other day, and I said, you know, if I was Seattle saying, you know, instead of $650 million, uh, $650 I'll give you $2 billion if you give me the best player off everybody's team. You know, you know like... That that's what you're paying for now. You're paying so much money, you should get a lot right. as an expansion team because you really are. How, like, how long does it take you to recoup how much money you paid for that franchise? Seattle within a year, do you think? I think it'll be quick. I do. I you know, I don't know if it's going to be two thousand. Maybe though. I mean, it depends on how good their application looks this week. So. so Seattle, and then you said Quebec and Houston, and then are they done for a while? Is well, that I, how many teams can you go to? Right, yeah. I, I was I, just I, they, like, they, Because that'll be 30, what, 34 teams? Yeah, then? yeah. We got 32. We'll go 32 with Seattle. But, uh, you know, their official position on Quebec is we don't have any plans to it. But I, I still believe at some point we'll end up in Quebec. You know, because it's low-hanging fruit to go to Canada. The only issue for them right now, of course, is the value of the Canadian dollar, which, you know, makes it uh, difficult. But it's hard. Like, you know, like, you know what, what's the next uh, price? So six fifty now. So the next round, is it, is it 800 Right. 
800 million. I, I 800 million dollars expansion fee. Expansion fee. So 800 million divided by 30 teams. You know, that's that's some real money that they're giving the owners here. You know, <laughs> right. like that's that's hard for them to uh, uh, to kind of pass on. And uh, you know, they're increasing their revenue, and you know, things are going uh, good. So you know, there's been speculation that if they ever bring a team into Toronto, that um, you know that it would be for well over a million dollars that that they would demand that because there'd be indemnification with the maple leaves well, and so right. forth so but it would be uh, just a very very high fee and who knows could that happen in our lifetime maybe well you know people will say well geez toronto i mean how would the leafs let it happen but first of all toronto could support a second hockey team and remember when the vipers were playing out in auburn hills the you know peter carmanos maybe he brings the heart you know he was you know, always the speculation was is that if Detroit had a team that played out in Auburn Hills or at the Palace, that they could support it and it wouldn't touch the Red Wing base. I'm not so sure I agree with that, but I mean, certainly if there's a market that can support two NHL teams, and I know New York, you can say arguably has has three with New Jersey, and yeah. uh, uh, but uh, it, it certainly is Toronto. Yeah. No. And uh, yeah, yeah. I bet if you said to Peter Carmanis, uh, you know. I, I, you know, I don't really know this at all, but I, I'm just sitting around thinking, I bet Peter Kermanis has some regret about selling his majority. I mean, he's a hockey guy. Right, yeah. You know, he really is Yeah, tonight. Well, we're doing this on a Friday, and we'll have it up either tonight or, or tomorrow, but... I felt a little sad that he isn't that he doesn't own the Hurricanes anymore. Well, he does have you know a minor right. minority ownership, but he's just not in control. Yeah, I feel sad about it too because I, I mean he's fun to have around. And right. He was always a rival for for the Illich family, but you know I, I admired both of them for putting their money in Detroit. Right, yeah, yeah. Both of them have been good citizens, uh, yeah. for sure. Well, Kevin, we can go on because every time I'm about to say goodbye, another thing pops into my head. So let's end this edition here. You'll be on. For a fourth time, very, very soon. Uh, enjoy the Olympics. Uh, thank you very, very much for doing this. It's always a pleasure. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy your company so much, and the feedback on these podcasts have always been great. So I appreciate you, again, giving your time to us. Thank you. Always welcome.